Is he worth? 
of praise. He is worthy. Yes, he is. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, musician. Would you thank them for their service to us and to the Lord today? Amen. Amen. If you'll turn today in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 27. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. That's what will be on your screen. That's the, also what's on the back of your pew if you'd like to use your pew Bible. Amen. When you're there, say hallelujah. Amen. Three R. <laughs> Put it up there so they'll all get there. Amen. When you're there, say praise the Lord. How about that? There you go. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes was disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. I want to speak to you today on the subject, The Dad That Did. The Dad That Did. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise, and we pray that you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you give the Lord one more hand clap of praise today? Amen. Amen. It is simply put, quite possibly the hardest job on earth. Being a father, being a dad. A dad is not only responsible in the biblical sense for his children. 
A dad is responsible for his home. Not many people, it seems, believe this anymore. But in God's order of things, fathers, husbands and fathers, bear a deeper sense of responsibility for the direction of their home and family than anyone else in their family. It's a shame that so many dads have abdicated that role. But it is a difficult job and often a thankless job. It's very easy, and I don't understand exactly why, but it's very easy for men to become distracted. They can get distracted by uh, wanting to earn, by ambition, by possessions. Sometimes they can get distracted by hobbies, uh, by those that, friends that they have. It's easy for dads to get distracted. It's easy also for dads to disengage. There's something in a man, and I again, don't understand the psychology of it all, but there's something in a man that kind of makes him sometimes want to withdraw. It's kind of like that when he's been out in the world, he's, he's on guard, he's having to fight the world, he sees himself as, as a warrior, and when he gets home, he just wants to be quiet, contemplate, mope, and you need to give him a little bit of space to do that, but then Ben have to realize my job's not over just when I bring home the bacon. And it's very easy for men to get discouraged. Things don't always work out the way that we want them to work out. I would say if I, and this is just arbitrary, but I would say if I took a poll today of the men in this room, I would say that probably upwards of, of 80 to 90% of the men in this room would say, I am not where I saw myself when I was 20 years old. I've not achieved what I thought I would have achieved. I've not accomplished what I thought I would have accomplished. Life has not quite panned out the way I thought it would looking forward. So it's easy for men to get discouraged. One of the reasons for that is in in our society, men are discredited. There is a conspiracy, I believe, a mind behind the mind. There's a satanic, demonic conspiracy, often propagated by Hollywood, to discredit men. We have, in the last 50 to 60 years, gone from Father Knows Best to Homer Simpson. We have gone in the last 50 to 60 years from Andy Griffith to Caitlyn Jenner. There is a conspiracy to discredit dads. And because of that, dads are often dismissed. Fathers and men are dismissed. There is an emasculation of men that's going on in the United States of America. And I want to caution you ladies here that have sons particularly. Do not try to, to cope and coax and get out of your boys their masculinity. Let boys be boys. And I'll say this to dads. 
if you've got boys that's not acting like boys, you start being a boy along with them so they'll learn how to do it. God created, there's more than biology that separates men and women. We think different. We process life different. And that's not a bad thing. God created men and women to fulfill equally important but very different roles in home and in society. Not many people believe that. They think that's sexist talk. I don't know what sexist about allowing men to be men and women to be women. You better watch who you're listening to on television because some of those people that you think that are defenders of people's rights are really people that are out to destroy the American family and destroy our way of life. And they speak to the selfishness that people have. But men are dismissed. But listen to this stat. And this is an old stat. It's, a, uh, it's from April the 3rd, 2013 in a Baptist press in an article that's called Want Your Church to Grow? Bring in the Men. Did you know that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow? Now, there was conventional wisdom for years in the church that says, we got to get the children because if you can get the children, you'll get mom and daddy. That's not true. I'm telling you, there's a lot of mom and daddies that will let the church babysit their children. Just because you get the children to come doesn't mean mom and daddy will follow. Oh, they'll come and watch them when they're in a play or something like that, but it doesn't mean they're going to become a part of the church. They'll be happy to let you babysit their kids once a week. It's only a 3.5% chance that if the child is a part of the church that the whole family will come. Did you know if the mother is the first one to become a Christian, that jumps considerably, but it's only a 17% chance that the whole family will come. But if daddy becomes a Christian, there is a 93% chance that the whole family will come and be a part of that church and be one to the Lord. So we can dismiss the importance of fatherhood if we want to. But the facts are is that men are still the determining factor for the spiritual health of a home. And being dead is such a difficult task that some of the greatest men in history and in the Bible failed at it. Some of the icons of Scripture and of history were miserable failures as dads. Some in part and some in the whole. Adam was the first one. He was the first father. And yet Adam had a failure to protect the garden. He let a snake in the grass slip in the garden. And it cost not only him and Eve paradise, but it also created an atmosphere where his firstborn son murdered his younger brother. Adam was a failure as a father. Abraham's Name, his name Abram, meant father of many. When God changed his name to Abraham, it meant exalted father. He is known as the father of nations. He is known as the father of the faith. 
the father of the faithful. But did you know that Abraham, because he rushed God, gave birth to an illegitimate child? And the reason that we have conflict in the Middle East today is because of his disobedience. Eli was a high priest to God, and he was a godly man, but he had such wretched sons that when women would bring their sacrifice to the tabernacle, they would make passes at them. They would have affairs on holy ground. So God didn't choose Eli's son. In fact, both of them died in battle. But he chose another young man named Samuel to be Eli's protege. And as wonderful as Samuel is, and it's hard for you to find anybody in Hebrew history any more important than Samuel. But when Samuel got older, his sons followed in the same path that Eli's sons followed. One of the titles of Jesus is that he is the root and the offspring of Jesse. That's the father of David. But Jesse, when the Lord was wanting to anoint one of his sons as king, as king his youngest son was so out of his out of his thought pattern, he forgot all about him being out on the field. David himself had trouble. He was a great man, a man after God's own heart. Yet he had one of his sons rape his half-sister, another one of his sons murder another son. That same son, Absalom, that had murdered his brother, rebelled against his own father, drove him out of Jerusalem, would have taken his life. David was a lot of things, but he wasn't a good father. His son Solomon, who became his replacement, raised Rehoboam, his son, who when he got into power was such a spoiled brat that he split the kingdom in two. And then I think of great men. I don't know about you. I don't want to get too political. But to me, in my lifetime, the greatest president that we've had is Ronald Reagan. And he was a man's man and a great communicator. But he was a distant and difficult father to his children. Men have succeeded in business and failed at home. Men have contributed, great men have contributed to science but failed at home. Some have forged empires yet failed as fathers. And many have been faithful in ministry but failed as fathers. That's the reason Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 about a bishop. He said this is one of the qualifications. He must be one that rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Now I've heard pastors get up and rail against people and say, you, be, you don't need to be mean to my children and judge my children, and that's true. And there was a time that congregations were awful hard on pastors' children. But let me say this to, to you. You absolutely have a right to see how a man of God conducts his household and how he raises his children, whether or not to determine you, whether you ought to be listening to him. If he doesn't know how to raise his children, he doesn't know how to raise yours. Amen. If all of these great dads, all of these great men in history failed as fathers, how could anyone 
succeed. But here in Mark chapter 9, there is a nameless individual who was a dad who did. He was a dad who did. We don't even know his name. But he got it right. Wasn't perfect, but he got it right. The setting of this is Jesus is just coming off of the Mount of Transfiguration where he had shone like the noonday sun and Peter and James and John had seen Moses and Elijah with him and as soon as they got down off the mountain they were met with turmoil. There was a, a great dispute going on. The scribes had gotten into a shouting match with the disciples and it was all over the fact that there was a man who had brought his son to the disciples for them to cast out a demon. And the disciples couldn't do it. Now Jesus had given to his disciples the authority to cast out demons. But they came up against one that they could not uh, cast out. And of course Jesus tells them later, this kind only comes out with fasting and with prayer. But there was a, a church fight that was going on. And Jesus came up and asked, what is going on? And the man spoke up and said, I brought my son to your disciples. And they could not cast out the demon. That's the first thing this man did right. He brought his son to Jesus. He brought his son to Jesus. That is, that is the first and most important task of every father is to bring your child to Jesus. I have, I have dealt with men that were not saved and did not attend church. And I've talked to them and said, look, if you don't love your own soul enough, don't you love your child enough to bring them to Jesus? Now my dad sitting here never Never dropped one iota, mom either, of a hint. Never planted any seed that they wanted their sons to be pastors. That was never, that was never mentioned in our household. But I'll tell you what they did. I'll tell you what he did. He got us to the feet of Jesus every time that he could. I know many people would criticize this in this day. But we... My brother Travis was a great football player. And on a Friday night that he had probably one of his greatest games, we were not there because we had revival at our church. Now listen, we had gone Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And many people would say, well, it would have been okay if you'd have missed Friday night. Yeah, it, it probably would have, you could have made it to heaven missing Friday night. Other people would criticize and say, you know what? You did wrong going to the revival instead of going and watching your son. But you know what he was doing? He was setting the priority in our lives that said there's more important things than football. I'm not criticizing people that choose to do, do those kinds of things. I am saying the proof is in the pudding. That when you, the most important thing you can do is bring him to Jesus. Now listen to me. When people think about dad, they think about a dad out with his son throwing the ball, 
playing catch. It's a wonderful thing. They think about dad teaching his little girl to ride the bicycle. It's a wonderful thing. But spending that kind of time with your child is so important, but it is a means to an end. It is not the end in itself. It is the means to the end. Here's what you're after. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Memorize his laws and tell them to your children over and over again. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the moment or in the morning. That's what you're after with your kids is teachable moments, teaching moments where you're sharing with them the principles out of God's Word. So we had a dad that brought his son to Jesus, but the dad that did was also the dad that didn't. He didn't let his own disappointment deter him. He did not let his own disappointment deter him. He had brought his son to the disciples and they could not cast him out. This guy, this has been going on a long time with this child. He had tried and tried again and he tried once more. He was willing to do anything and he brings his child to the church and the church is powerless. But he does not throw his hands up and quit. There's so many people out there when they get the least bit discouraged they want to give up and they don't realize that there's somebody following in behind them. Daddy, there's some things that you can't afford to do. There's some things you've got to look around and see who's watching you. See how they're watching how you're going to handle it. And there's times you've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And say, I will not let my own disappointment and my own discouragement cause me to make a misstep that will send my child down the wrong road. I've got to hang in there. Somebody's following in behind me. The dad that did was also the dad that didn't. He didn't quit. Jesus asked him, said, how long has this been going on? And he said, from a childhood and often, often, it throws him in the fire. It throws him in the water. It goes from one bad situation to another bad situation. My child has gone from bad to worse. Don't give up. Don't give up. And he'd been so discouraged that even in his relationship with Jesus, he said, if you can do anything, you ever been there with your child? You ever been there in life? Lord, if you can do anything. And Jesus said, I can do anything if you'll believe. If you'll believe. So don't give up when it looks like that your child or your children or your family is going from the frying pan into the fryer. Don't give up. And then he was honest about his own weakness. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, I, 
listen, I do believe in the, in the, uh, the type of man that I grew up with. Men of, of strength that aren't whiners, you know, aren't, aren't always down, depressed. But I'll tell you what I don't believe in. I don't believe in some fake machoism that says never let them see you sweat, never let them see you cry, never let them see you get real. You got to be strong enough to admit where your weaknesses are. And especially in the presence of God, you got to be willing to say, Lord, I do believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. I want to make a distinction here. There is a difference between doubt and an evil heart of unbelief. Doubt is a disease that left unchecked will spread, but doubt is something that we are all subject to from one time to another. We all struggle with doubts. But an evil heart of unbelief is a decision that rejects God's word and rejects God's will. This man did not have an evil heart of unbelief. He wanted to trust. He wanted to believe. But disappointment had caused him to struggle with his doubt. But he went to the right source. He said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And he did receive his answer. He did receive his answer. You may feel like this morning that you might have failed at some point as a dad, and we all have. We've all missed it at one time or another as fathers. And you may have felt like that you've failed as a dad, but can I tell you, it ain't over yet. Mark 9, 25, when Jesus saw the crowd gathering fast, he spoke sternly to the evil spirit that had kept the body from speaking or hearing, and he said, I order you to come out of the boy and don't ever bother him again. Verse 26, the spirit screamed and made the boy shake all over. Then it went out of him, and the boy looked dead, and almost everyone said he was. Let me tell you what sin wants to do to your son or your daughter. Sin, what number one, wants to do like this boy, wants to make him out of control. This boy would fall in the fire. He would fall in the water. It was a deaf and mute spirit. He wants to cause your children to be unable to hear the word of God, be unable to hear the words of advice and instruction. But it ain't over. He wants to cause them to lose their ability to speak. They, they don't say the things that you want them to say, the things you're longing to hear. Your children will not say that if they're away from God. But then again, it ain't over yet. And they're, they're tormented. This boy screamed and, and shrieked and shook all over. And they get out of control, but it is not over yet. They're tormented in their spirit, but it's not over yet. And then the Bible says the man became, young man became rigid, unyielding, won't move. Just stuck in place, but it ain't over yet. And then the Bible says when the spirit came out of him, he fell like a dead man so that many people thought he was dead. Dead, past feeling, past moving, past changing for those of you that have lost children and you think it seems like that they'll never come home 
it ain't over yet. It may look like it's all over, but it ain't over yet. Because Jesus went and took a hold of his hand and raised him up. I want today to be a celebration for dads that did. But I also want it to be an inspiration to dads that say, I might not have, I may not have passed the test. Or it seems like maybe I've failed in some way. Or I did my best and they're still astray. But it ain't over yet. And it's not too late for you to bring your son or daughter to Jesus. Not too late for you to do that. Every morning and every evening, you could bring them to the Lord in prayer. And I know that there's part of us that says that seems so futile, so passive. All I can do is pray. I want you to know that prayer is not our last resort. It's our first option. I want you to listen. I asked Chris to pull this up. He said, yeah, I found it where we played it twice before. <laughs> it's worth playing again to remind you of the result of a dad that did. Watch this. Johnny, it's good to have you back with us. I'd like for you to just give a word of testimony where you've been. During my time at Gospel Music, I wasn't necessarily what you might refer to as a shining example of Christian living. And uh, I had illusions of grandeur, and I left the Stamps Quartet and thought that I had enough talent and I could be the master of my own destiny. And I got off in another kind of music. And uh, I found myself with my own group, Little Billy Blackwood over there. He was our drummer. He's about the only one in the group that didn't jump the fence and run off in the wrong direction. Billy, my hat's off to you, buddy. My daddy was a preacher. That's one thing I didn't ever want to be was a preacher. Didn't ever want to be a preacher. Didn't ever want to be old and wound up being both of them. <laughs> and I got off in the drug culture, and for about six years, I progressed along that endeavor. It was my very best, and I wound up in 1976. I was a drug addict. successfully twice already tried to take my own life and overdose it of cocaine because you can't make it if you've got a little bit of ability we live in a good country and if you determine you can make it somewhere some rain's going to come and wind's going to blow unless what you build is based in Jesus it's going to fall and I woke up on a Saturday morning before Labor Day in 1976 
in my whole world and probably my faith, my home had been literally broken. My health was ruined, my money was gone, my friends didn't want to be around me because my mind was all messed up all the time. To make a long story short, I eventually found myself 28 floors in the air on a little celebrity Sunday just outside of Elvis' suite on top of the Las Vegas Hill. Did you hear what he said? He said his dad, for nine years, fasted two meals a day to see his son saved. I don't know if you know who that was. That was Donnie Sumner. He sang with Elvis Presley. Made it to the peak of his career, but he was lost without God. And here's what he said in that video if you didn't catch it. He said, it wasn't daddy that saved me, but it was daddy's love that shined the light 
of God on the path so I could come back home. I want you to stand across this building. Our altar call is twofold.